Welcome to North of the Shire, your podcast on all things Lord of the Rings. Although at this stage of the game, I think it's mostly about the Middle-Earth Strategy Battle Game by Games Workshop. I'm your host, Don, and this is episode 24. And today I'm here once again with my trusty co-host, Mr. Andrew Brock, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned the only thing we talk about is Middle Earth strategy battle game, but I mean, we've got the TBD Chronicles set in the Lord of the Rings universe. We have fairly frequent "What have I got in my pocket?" questions that totally veer away from the game. I think That's we're right. Doing a pretty good job keeping it balanced. It's all things Lord of the Rings. That's right, that's right. And for those that are already listening with bated breath, don't worry, there is going to be an installment of the TBD Chronicles in this episode. And with that, let me just go through our usual, uh, what we're going to cover. Uh, so we're, we'll do a catch-up, because as usual, it's been a couple of weeks. Um, main topic, where art thou, Saruman and Gandalf? That's right. Cool title, I like it. Andrew, good job. I know, I like it too. It just came to me. <laughs> uh, we'll do a, all that is gold does not glitter, and we have a question about starting out with a new army, oh. uh, and our usual what have I got in my pocket, and yes, we will be back to TBD Chronicles, and we'll be bringing you the next episode of Oathbound. That's right, we now have a name for the story. That's right, the Oathbound. It's official. It's official. Yeah. That came from one of your segments. It did. I remember. Like the last you, like, two sentences. The phrase. Yeah, the last two sentences of Elioneth before she introduced herself. She said, we are the oath bound. Yeah. I was like, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we get started about anything else, though, let's, let's go back in time and correct a couple of mistakes because yes we are human (laughs) we make a lot of mistakes (laughs) and and the last one was in the last episode where we were talking about the goblin king and we were talking about his uh, i forget the name of it but where he's allowed to chuck a goblin oh yes it, it counts as a throwing weapon and we got a little carried away we were talking about it as though it was exactly like a throwing weapon but it's not you can only use it in the shooting phase well the worst part is Let's not say we. It was clearly me, okay? And the worst part is you literally read the rule verbatim, and then I misinterpreted it like nine sentences later. <laughs> so I'm okay with acknowledging. I hold myself accountable. Hey, I'm a team player. It's it's always we. I appreciate know. that. It's always we. Yeah, I, so that was, that was one. And then mm-hmm. what was the other one? Well, the other one was we had this wonderful episode on Isengard and building. The, they, they are the king of the macro uh, warband build. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to come up with an army list that's going to work just fantastic with this. It's entirely illegal, just straight up. I'm going to Oh, your it. trebuchet. Uh, well, yeah, I forget what was in it now. all the allies were Heroes of Fortitude, and if it's a yellow alliance, they have to be Heroes of Valor. So whoever thinks that they should put this list together, it needs still some further refinement because it's currently illegal. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, we yeah. just just want to come clean on that. On, yeah. Well, on those two things, I'm sure there's more, but you know, those are two that we noticed, anyways. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I had my birthday. Oh, you did. Um, like a week or two ago. Congratulations. And, uh, yeah, thank you. And I got another Tolkien book. Oh, my wife right. gave me the Children of Huron for my birthday. Ooh. So that is sitting on my. Uh, 
side table here waiting for me to start reading it so i've already i'm sort of familiar with the story because they do talk about it in the silmarillion so mm -hmm. i kind of know what happens but oh did um, you did you finish yeah. the silmarillion i did finish the silmarillion oh, okay yes. congrats yeah yeah that is a, that's um, an accomplishment it's not an easy read it is it was a struggle <laughs> to get through uh for sure and um i did need to um i got a subscription to audible so mm -hmm. i i got it on audible oh, that's awesome. um and uh finished finished it on uh audio so and i remember posting about it uh, i forget where but um damien was saying because i was saying how hard it was to get through and all that and he he was he kind of mentioned that it was kind of more of a like a reference book almost it's not you know I, I read it from cover to cover or listened to it and it was it was a really rough slog to get through it and he was saying you know it's more of a book that you pick up and reference a chapter or whatever mm. and and I've already found myself doing that and oh, and okay. going back and listening to certain parts again where I was like did I hear that right and and then go back and listen so interesting no but yeah looking forward to this new book Awesome. Well, that's fantastic. Congratulations. That's um, one, an accomplishment, and two, um, you know, uh, uh, let me know how the, the Children of Huron goes. Um, there's also, don't forget, there's one more book that they've released, uh, The Fall of Gondolin. Gotta get that book soon. Yeah, there's actually, there's actually several. Because, oh, there is? Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I've, I got a magazine given to me by my daughter on uh, Tolkien mm -hmm. and it's like one of these time life magazines and they go through all of the books that oh, are wow. published and there's there's more than I thought there was actually um, you know a lot of them were edited and whatnot by his son Christopher Tolkien but mm -hmm. anyway I don't have the list in front of me so we won't go through that right now okay okay so what else what else have you been up to have you been painting for the painting challenge I have been doing a little bit of painting for the painting challenge. Mm -hmm. I uh, I did pull out um, my my whole Dunland army. Like Garrett came over for sort of a hobby hangout last weekend, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we spent a couple hours going uh, while doing hobby stuff. He was working on his uh, Urukai scouts, and what I did was I went and got all my Dunland models and collected them all into one place mm -hmm. and went through all the ones that were going to be in my list and sort of put them aside mm -hmm. and then figured out basically what I need to to paint. Right. Because you had made a comment that, oh, it's like, Don, you're like 85% finished your thing. It's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> like nowhere near 85%. So it turns out I have, in, in my 750 point list, I have 48 models mm -hmm. and I still have 24 models to paint so exactly half mm -hmm. um although four of those models are the cavalry models right uh, so the dunlin like, horsemen so yeah. um probably a little bit more than half of the army to paint so mm -hmm. yeah and I've, I've started working on it okay so of the 24 models how many of those did i paint the 24 that were already painted um probably what a dozen maybe something like that like a war band? yeah probably probably about probably about half of the of the 24 yeah because it's like really just the warriors i think so of yeah. dunland and like i have a bunch of wildmen in my list that i painted 
and most of the heroes. I think you painted my Dunlin captain, which I'm taking. So. Yes, I did paint that guy. Have you stuck with the purple scheme? Or have you veered violently away from it? Uh, I stuck, well, I've, I'm keeping the purple scheme on the ones that you painted, mm -hmm. and I'm kind of keeping those as a warband, let's say, and oh, then I'm now painting, the guys that I'm painting are going to have uh, red cloaks. Oh. So they'll be red cloaks and purple cloaks. I think it's a great idea, actually. You know, that way, sort of like different chieftains have their own sort of warbands, they're all sort of coming together. Yep. And what I did, actually, was... Um, I we have a tournament coming up. Yes, oh. that's right. We have a tournament coming up that's right. in September, September 25th. It's our first tournament back with the OSBGL, and what we're doing still because we're very tentative, uh, baby steps with the COVID here mm -hmm. and everything. Um, so rather than have a big giant tournament with you know 20 or 30 people or whatever. Um, we're holding, I think, five different tournaments on the same day mm -hmm. and trying to keep the numbers down to, you know, 10 or 12 people right. um, at each event. Um, so I'm going to one fairly close to me and I've already got my list made up. I'm going to play Isengard and it's just going to be my regular <laughs> mishmash of everything. <laughs> And uh, what I've done was I've, I've pulled some of my unpainted Dunlin stuff mm -hmm. um, out and it's in going to be in that list. So, so I have to get those models painted for that tournament. So it gives oh, okay. me a deadline on, on that stuff. So what, what's your deadline for getting the whole Shebango done, the whole Challenge Army? The whole Challenge Army, yeah. it's got to be done no later. Absolute latest has got to be the end of October. Oh yeah, so that means it'll because, be a December completion. Well, I mean, we're we're supposed to be playing a round robin tournament, like you, myself, Chris, and Garrett. That's true. Um, so in order to have enough time to do that, you know, we're gonna <laughs> we're knowing us, we're gonna need a couple of months for that. Yes, that's true. <laughs> well, three of us will. One of them finish. One of us finished their army like last month. So <laughs> yeah, Chris is just now waiting, like drumming his uh, fingers on his desk, waiting for us to get our stuff done he'll have another army done by the time we're finished oh yeah, yeah. guaranteed he's, he's already said well he's like he's like who's my bet on uh completing their next challenger army my bet's on me getting my fangorn army completed i'm like yeah no i, I totally see that happening yeah <laughs> yeah 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 and my models i'm finding they're not easy models to paint because they're the metal dunlending models it's um. not like painting you know, like I painted up all those dwarf rangers or the rangers you're working on. I found them really easy. Like if you want to paint them with contrast paints, mm -hmm. they're really quick to paint. Um, these ones are not like that. They're yeah. the, the, they're nice models, but they're uh, they take more time. Well, well I have uh, made great strides um, in my painting. I'm very ecstatic. Yeah, uh, I've got my 36 rangers of Gondor uh, assembled. That's my, my total number of rangers. I'm doing all my infantry first and treating myself to some heroes afterwards. A lot and, of assembly work there, eh? Oh, tremendous amounts. Cleaning some mold lines, gluing the single piece <laughs> model down to the base. Just horrific. Uh, and then I actually got the cloaks done for all 36 of them which is a, a chunk of the model. It's probably mm -hmm. like like the back half of the model. So probably, like, I would say yeah. about 35% of the model easily. And uh, I'm now working on sort of, um, I've, I've decided to take a dozen of them and I'm working on just finishing up all the different colors 
and then I'll move to the next batches. Uh, and it's all coming along really well, actually. Now you just got to do the front half. Well, that's what I'm working on now. I'm taking uh, taking about ten or twelve of them, and now I'm working on the front half to finish off. Like, and I'm doing it in batches of like whatever. Because I've what I've done is I've chosen four different colors um, to paint their cloaks, and those mm -hmm. four colors are also incorporated into uh, the other color schemes. So it's essentially one unified color scheme, but because uh, you're painting 36 of the same bloody model, I decided to sort of switch up where each color falls. Um, mm -hmm. So there's, I've got batches of different rangers, and it kind of turned out kind of nice, because it, it almost looks like the cloaks represent the different seasons, some spring, some summer, some fall, and some winter. Yeah, because you got like bright green, sort of a dull green, mm -hmm. and then you have like a beige, and what's your last one? Like so a I have, I have a, like a, I like, like a frosty brown almost like a for a winter and then i've got mm -hmm. um a brighter uh, rich reddish brown which almost sort of represents fall okay and that just kind of came about when i finished painting up all the cloaks and I sort of put them all together i'm like oh this looks really cool um so i'm happy with it and yeah just trying to finish up the rest it's of it. good when you paint like an entire army all at once where, where you can do that mm -hmm. you can look at all everything you're going to paint and come up come at it with a plan yeah you know something i've never done before and uh, I uh, also created a uh, Excel document because I'm a bit of an Excel goof when it comes to this. Uh, literally listing each component on the model and then where the colors are going to fall for each of the four different schemes, just so that I'm aware of what's everywhere, all where, where it all is going to lay out, just to make sure I'm consistent. So that's good because yeah, like when I, I paint completely opposite to that, and like it always happens that when I you know I'll I'll be looking at a handful of models I painted a month ago, and I'm like I got to paint another handful of models, and I can't remember what colors they were, <laughs> or it's just like does it look like this color? I'm not sure. <laughs> So yeah, that was my focus. I wanted to paint the whole army, so I wanted to make sure that the color schemes all were aligned. Uh, and yeah, it's turning out really well, and I'm very pleased with it, so yeah. Yeah, for me, I also had a major distraction happen that I'm trying to not <laughs> not crack open, and it's like I got my new Dale models, my new oh, Forge World oh, stuff. Um, I, so I, I bought three packs of the Warriors and then the... Mm -hmm. The, the pack characters. of the two heroes yeah. um so i'm eager to get those done as well so that i can actually have a dale army that i can play without any allies in it if i want oh okay i looked at those and i was like on the fence to buy like six packs plus the characters because the, the models are really beautiful and then i stopped i'm like no get your army done get your army yeah. done your rangers need to be yeah. finished first yeah and for me it was it was more of a um I just want to get them and know that I have them. I'll put them on the shelf with all of my other unopened boxes and blisters, mm -hmm. but I know that they're there when when I need to I need to get them ready. So. Alrighty. Yeah, yeah. One other thing we were we've been we've been moaning and complaining a little bit that oh we don't get any feedback on our TBD chronicles and you know nobody said anything. We don't know if people like it or whatever. And we got feedback. Yeah, I think it's because we moaned and complained so much. People it just is. took pity upon yeah, us. Pe and said people <laughs> took pity on us. Yeah. It's like, okay, we'll say something. Um, but yeah, we had two bits of feedback. One was on our Facebook post of our last episode, episode 23. Mm -hmm. And John said, after listening to episode 23, that he was sad there was no TBD Chronicles because he really likes that. Mm, okay, okay. Oh, there. So there you go. There's one, one vote to the positive. One vote to the for positive TBD for TBD Chronicles. Chronicles. Yeah. yeah. 
And then we had um, we had a really nice email from um, Samuel Thompson here in Canada in mm-hmm. Ottawa, and uh, he said, "I'll just read it. This isn't the appropriate section, but because we're talking about TVD Chronicles, he said I've enjoyed this podcast a lot, and is one of the reasons my hobbying hasn't completely stopped mm. during COVID. I think he means. Yeah. Um, I just want to say I very much enjoy TBD Chronicles." Great story developing there and can't wait for more. I also find TBD Chronicles is a great name for this segment because after every little chapter, if you will, the rest of the story is to be determined. Because we're writing it as we go, right? That's right. I can't believe we didn't think of that. I did. That's why I called it TBD. But anyways, yeah, it was it was subconscious. <laughs> subconscious. You see that we were connecting uh, over great distances because <laughs> we're remote recording. And I thought, you know, we we, we got to do this TBD. And and for some reason, TBD Chronicles just immediately sank in, and we're like, this feels right. Yeah, we knew it was. We knew it was the right name. That's right. So thank you, uh, John, and thank you, Sam, for for those two uh, encouraging words on. TBD Chronicles. Yeah, thank you so much. So yeah. is there anything well, else? Well, is that it for... I guess. I'm, I'm, I'm all caught up. I think I'm all well. caught up. I wanted to talk about my painting because I was so excited about it because I was in a drought for the last seven months. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was super excited for that. Uh, I am really keener to see the models done. And, man, being able to sit down and just paint, oh, I've, I've missed it. It's just so, yeah, so um, therapeutic and relaxing. So what about you? When do you think you're going to have your army done? Because oh, now you have at least line. three more models that you have to paint well, because gonna, of the FAQ. Uh, no, it's like eight less models that I have to paint. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. They, They're they kicking a bunch of rangers out of your, your well, list, eh? Pretty much, yeah, because I was taking Frodo already, uh, but now you have to take Sam and Gollum. Uh, and so mm-hmm. that means you're pretty much dropping like seven or eight rangers and you're picking up two. So it works out like your net loss of six. Like I'm pretty sure I had like high 40s, if not 50 models. But now I'm down to like 42, 43, 44 models. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm not still in the 40s. Uh, but uh, yeah, which is fine for me because I was like, yay, less models I have to paint. Uh, now, do you actually own a Sam Frodo and Gollum model? You well, I own a Sam and Frodo because I have the original Fellowship way back in the day from Games Day uh, when uh-huh. we first demoed it all those years ago. Uh, but I don't own a Gollum. Um, but interestingly enough, I own almost all the heroes to the um, Survivors of Lake Town, except for like I own like all the Forge World heroes. And so mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I could buy the Bilbo and Gollum kit, and that would give me Bilbo, right? So it's another hero I can sort of add sure. to that, right? And so that's what I'm going to plan on doing. I'm just going to pick that one up, and uh, then I'll have everything. Cool. Because I also need to pick up Gollum. I noticed, like, I played uh, Goblin Town against Chris um, a couple weeks or month ago or whatever, and I've been looking at what I need to finish off that army because I just kind of have the stuff that came in the, mm. the box set. Um, and Gollum is one of the things that I do need to pick up. He so. is number one, should be on your yeah. to-buy list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All, right. All right, shall we move along to the next segment, the I main so. topic? All right, let's do it.
Let's talk about Where Art Thou, Saruman and Gandalf. And that is specifically Saruman the Evil and Gandalf the Grey is what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And we were planning on doing an episode to, to talk about these two heroes. And as it turned out, we had a question come in from a listener a while ago. So we figured it was kind of um, time for this topic. And um, even though we're not in All That Is Gold Does Not Glitter, I'll just read the question. And it was from Lucas Heisman from Belgium. Mm -hmm. And he said, um, in this edition, I barely ever see Saruman, and in brackets, evil anymore. Do you think there is a sub 800 point list that is quite competitive with Saruman in it? Or is his age over? So that was kind of the question that that spurred us to finally uh, do this as a main topic. Mm. Uh, short answer, Sorcerer's Blast, Nerf, long answer. Uh, let's jump into the conversation. <laughs> well, one thing, too, is like we thought we would do these two wizards together, yeah. um, just being that they're so similar. And we thought we would talk about both of them mm -hmm. and why we don't see them either of them really in yeah. competitive lists anymore and actually it, it's kind of timely that we do this because Articon just mm -hmm. finished mm. and so out of curiosity I went through because they use the tourney program you can go and yep. look at all of the army lists mm -hmm. so I went and looked at the top army lists to find out how many of them had either Evil Saruman or Gandalf the Grey in it and I got all the way down to 30 lists, the top 30, and they still were not in any of the lists. Mm. In fact, the only spellcasters that were in the top 30, and this is a 600-point list, so yeah. it's fairly low. Um, there were two Witch Kings yeah. and one Galadriel, mm. not Lady of Light, Lothlorien oh, and Galadriel. Okay. Like, those were the only spellcasters in any of the top 30 lists so i don't know how far down i would have to go before i found a gandalf the gray or a saruman i would say because of the 600 point limit you won't probably see them at all um mostly because those wizards are very expensive and mm -hmm. um they're not very cost effective at lower points i think you probably would start seeing them at 700 750 um if you were to see them at all yeah, well, it seemed to be just a, like a casual glance at, at all the lists. The, the very sort of typical build was one big hero and then a horde. Yes, that's what I noticed myself when um, yeah. I was looking at the top 10 lists. The majority of them were, I wouldn't say majority, but I'd say enough of them were a horde of cheap troops, i.e. Army of Lake Town, um, and then some sort of big bruiser, um, you know, like a Dane or... Um, or a bard, or a gulivar, witch king kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, that was always sort of the, the, the trend. Um, yeah. Yeah, out of the top five, three of them had Lake Town. Yes. Uh, two survivors and one army. No, no, two armies and one survivor. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of Lake Town presence in the, the top uh well, five. Uh, that's unfortunately because uh, Lake Town can give you the cheapest fight for Horde uh, for at a minimum four turns. So that's uh, pretty good. I'll say that. Uh, but anyways, back to our actual topic, where art thou, Saruman and Gandalf? 
Um, so what I'd like to do is I'd like to start, start with a, a wizard stat breakdown, because surprisingly enough, they both have the stat, same stat line. Uh, Let's the, do it. Which is fight five, strength four, defense five, one attack, three wounds, seven courage, three, six, three, might, will, and fate, and the staff of power, which lets them, essentially the staff of power just gives them an extra dice as a reservoir to be used for casting and resisting, uh, or I guess even just using it for will checks or courage checks. Uh, but it doesn't add to your existing uh, will pool. It's just sort of a, a freebie reservoir of a will that exists in the staff of power. If we want to sort of dive into this, um, you know, the, the, the one attack is atrocious. Um, it really does hinder them, even though they're mounted, giving them two attacks on the charge. Even with a banner, I'm sorry, it's, it's not good. Uh, they are not... Um, melee-oriented uh, wizards, nor w were they ever in the actual uh, books or movies. But that doesn't sort of align or jive with their, you know, the price tag. Their price tag hasn't really changed uh, between editions, um, but their spells have gotten weaker and their melee hasn't gotten any better. So it's a pretty lackluster um, uh, stat breakdown. They're a very resilient um, model, three wounds, three fate, and yeah. defense five, which isn't too, too bad. And being on a horse gives them some ability to sort of evade because they don't want to get into combat. But the problem is, I think, you know, at a, at a glance, I think they're too costly considering their spells just don't do what they used to do. Well, obviously, the, the stat line is not the stat line of a fighter. No. No, I, I would agree with that totally. Um, and, and that's sort of, it's reinforced Oddly enough, it's reinforced with, with Saruman, but not with Gandalf. Uh, okay, so let's start with Saruman the evil. We're not talking about the good because, quite honestly, the good's even worse than the evil. Okay, so we're talking about Saruman the evil, which is essentially showcased in the Isengard list. His heroic actions are channeling, and that's it, mm -hmm. which is terrible. Uh, special rules are the voice of, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, Don, Kudanir. Uh, which is the 12-inch standfast, which also includes heroes. Uh, he has the Palantir, which is fantastic, which auto-grabs you priority, uh, and it's a one-use ability. And he has the Lord of the Istari, which allows him to reroll one dice when making casting and resist rolls. He is a hero of legend. And he has a bunch of spells. Now, he doesn't have anywhere near the spell list that Gandalf has, but his spells are casted generally at a longer range, and they're easier to cast. Uh, so he's got a Mobilize on a 2+, plus for 18-inch range, Terrifying Aura Self, Command on a 3+, plus at 18-inch range, Sorceress Blast on a 4+, plus at 12-inch range, and Flame Burst uh, for a 4+, plus at 6-inch range. Uh, rounding out his allies, um, in terms of him, including in, in the Isengard list, there's no green alliances for Isengard, okay? And most of the yellow alliances that Isengard can ally with don't want to lose their army bonuses. I'm talking things like uh, Mordor, I'm talking things like Corsairs. They have really good army bonuses to begin with. They don't want to lose them. I mean, the only one that you would look at the only one that's remotely that doesn't care about its army list bonus is Moria, uh, and an Isengard Moria list uh, doesn't really get a whole lot out of each other. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong uh, to the world, 
but I don't see that as something that Isengard gains value out of. Um, because Isengard has such a diverse list to begin with, uh, it can build a whole lot of interesting builds on its own. It doesn't need to ally, generally. I mean, I guess on the good side, if you did ally in Saruman, you would be allying in uh, Hero of Legend and 18 Urukai, mm -hmm. potentially. So there is that. But um, just going back to his uh, special rules and his spell list. Yeah. So his his ranges and his uh, casting numbers are really good. Yeah, they are. Uh, and the fact that he has the Lord of the Astari rule, mm -hmm. reroll one dice when making casting or resist rolls, also fantastic. Yeah. Um, so it, it just really makes me wonder like why we don't see him like immobiling immobilize on a two plus at 18 inch range like that's amazing it is um you know command on a three plus at 18 inch range that also is amazing so why is it that we just don't see him in lists well um though of the five spells that i talked about three of them were nerfed and not eloquent eloquently so Immobilize, Command, and Sorcerer's Blast were also all nerfed. Uh, and so let's talk about the spells first before we go on to do anything else, okay? All right. And why that has such a profound impact on um, Saruman's usage on the table, right? So in the previous edition, Saruman could uh, immobilize a hero. Its, its fight value is halved, and its uh, attacks, are, attacks are halved, right? And so all of a sudden, Urukai warriors could outfight and kill the hero, right? And it may not happen mm -hmm. in one first shot. It could happen, could take two rounds of combat, right? Because uh, effectively a fight for Urukai warrior against a, tra a transfixed uh, hero from last edition would be fight eight, right? And there aren't too yeah. many fight eight models, okay? Well, that was one of the main strategies you used with Saruman before, is you yeah. would command command a target you know when the other side had already taken their turn you command a target and you swarm it and kill it right and, but know, very obvious strategy but it was it worked well yeah and the beauty is you didn't need you didn't always need a hero to do it you could just use infantry and mm -hmm. the other piece is that every single isengard hero last edition had heroic strike and so if you needed to strike up you could strike up right this edition, only three, I think, or four of the, like the eight or nine heroes have Heroic Strike. I know Lurtz does, yeah, Ugluck, Thryden, and I believe Goroth has it, correct? Correct, yeah. So that's four. There's at least double that number of actual heroes, right? So you won't always be in a situation where you can strike up. The second piece is because of the new changes to immobilize, I wouldn't say new, but the changes to immobilize and, and command are that you will no longer have fight value. You no longer have attacks. So those big heroes are still going to be fight six, seven, eight, right, and higher, and which means that your, your little sort of mid-tier heroes have to strike up just to be able to have a chance at killing this individual. And the reason that doesn't work out so well is because Saruman costs 225 points. And now you're saying to yourself, well, hold on, that's not what it says on his profile. But here's the thing. When you're it's 180 paying, points. You're paying 180 points for Saruman. You always take the extra 10 points for the horse. You have to. It's for evasion purposes. 
Second, a blade of armor. A blade of worth armor. Worth 10 points. There you go. But the other piece is you always take mounted Grima. Like Grima on his own is such an amazing model and would be an instant auto-include if he wasn't always tied to having to be taken with, uh, with Saruman. Like that model is phenomenal in its own right. We could speak volumes to it. But the reason why it's 225 points is that if you're gonna spend 190 points on Saruman, you spend 35 points on Grima. You just you just do. Yep. And the issue Yeah, with- Grima is is so worth the 35 points. Oh my God, uh, I mean he'd be one of the most popular models in the game if he wasn't tied to Saruman. <laughs> oh, absolutely. He would be taken and allied and abused like crazy. Everyone would be using him for his for his abilities. Um, and so at 225 points, um, that means you are using him at minimum 750, 800 point range. But even at those point ranges, you can't include a lot of the really strong heroic strikers in the Isengard list, like Lurts, like Thryden, who are 90 points. You know what I mean? Yeah, because so, when you take him, he kind of replaces one of those guys in your list. Yeah, he replaces one, if not two of them in your list. And the issue mm-hmm. is that if I take a, a Saruman and I take alerts, uh, I'm already at 315 points of a 400 point or a 700 or 750 point army. I've only got 400 points left, really, and that's like at most, like 30-ish Isengard models. And who are my heroes? Alerts and Saruman. They don't carry the day, unfortunately. Isengard really works best with like hordes of heroes. Um, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that's the issue with the mobilizing command. And then we dive into Sorcerer's Blast. Okay. Last edition, Gandalf the Grey and Saruman the White were seen fairly often because of Sorcerer's Blast. You could Sorcerer's Blast through uh, scathes of models. Like you could hit uh, one model, pitch it back D6, and it could barrel through like four or five other models. And you could be expected to kill maybe... If you were going to go the Sorceress Blast route, you could be expected to kill maybe 10 or 14 models uh, with some lucky rolls and some low defense opponents uh, over the like course over of the game. over the course of the game. Yeah, you mean. over the course of the game. Now, you think about it from a, uh, a combat hero's perspective. A combat hero is, like, unless you're talking Aragorn, but like most mid-tier to low, um, high-tier uh, combat heroes will probably kill between 12 and 15 models a game, right? So if you're saying to yourself, Saruman and Gandalf were kind of hitting those numbers slightly lower, but that was fine because they also had to mobilize and transfix, which made them very powerful. Now, Sorceress Blast was nerfed so that if the moment you hit the guy, the, the person you Sorceress Blasted, the moment they touch one model, they automatically stop and only those two models are hurt. Okay, let's talk about that. Or dismounted. Or dismounted, sure. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. Most games are about 10 turns long, right? Give or take. You're going to probably cast for maybe eight of those 10 turns, okay? Because there's some ways, there's always some turns where the armies are kind of moving and jockeying for position. You're always out of range for casting spells. So you're going to cast about eight times, okay? Sorcerer's Blast in, in Sadomon's case is a four plus. Let's just assume that because the Lord of the Istari special rule, he's going to get it off all the time. Okay, all eight casts go off. Okay, and he's always going to hit 16 models. Okay, the problem is he might kill six, seven, eight of them, maybe even nine. Okay, nine models killed, and I'm talking about defense five at this point. That's the reason why my numbers are so high. 
nine models killed on a defense five model it's generally seven points let's say almost always less but let's say seven points that's 63 points over the course of a game that a two that 190 point model has just made back 63 points that is an atrocious return on investment i'm sorry it is yeah now now you may you may um knock a hero off his horse uh, but then that's probably one less model that you potentially kill, right. although you do get rid of a, uh, a mount. So, you know, tactically maybe good, but still not really great return on on uh, point value. Right. And the other problem is that because shoot, cause you could shoot a guy into a, a hero last edition mm-hmm. very easily. This edition, with some careful positioning, you can sort of overlap your backline here, a backline infantry, so that they're never able to like fly out and hit a hero, right? Because you can sort of like do like an overlapping, staggering effect across your entire battle line, and all of a sudden you're kind of sorceress blast proof, right? And that's not difficult to do, right? And so you run into this situation where I have to actually physically sorceress blast a hero. Okay, now I got to start burning. Now I'm going against opposed will, opposed might, and that all of a sudden is slowing things down because that means you're resisted, there's less turns where you're actually doing something, and again, because Saruman is terrible in melee, he doesn't have heroic strike, he's only strength four, he has a staff, but that's kind of useless in this case, he is not in a position to do damage, right? And his damage output from Sorcerer's Blast is severely weakened, Flame Burst is only a strength six hit, and this set of blaze rule only happens when you heroically channel. But when you take Saruman, you're kind of might starved to begin with. You're maybe like a nine might army in a in a in a 750 point list. And even then you're looking at like low 30 model count for that. So you really don't want to be burning a whole lot of spells on heroic channeling unless you can line up a kill on something with like a heroically channeled uh, compel. And so he's Spell casting has gotten significantly worse. He has not picked up anything for it, and his points cost has remained the same. Okay, so that in and of itself is a problem. And the reason why I'm so harping on spell casting is because that is his shtick. The other problem is Contest of Champions. When you pull Contest of Champions with Saruman, and I've been there in that situation, it is almost an, a no-win scenario. And that's because the, th- the thing is, he's your leader, right? Because he's legend, so he's, he's going to be your leader. He's hero of legend. You were forced to take him. And the other kicker for contest is that spells don't count towards wounds caused. So I can't even sorceress blast stuff to pick up wounds. I literally have to charge my two attack model one plus one from the, the mounted charge into an infantry model, hope I knock you down, and if your defense six or lower, I might stand a good chance of killing one guy. Of course, when I do that, I'm now uh, at the mercy of the heroic move off where my opponent will just keep charging me, uh, potentially if they win, and thus locking me out from casting spells. So what ends up happening is that you literally have to play the incapacitation game against your opponent's champion pray that you can actually get Saruman in there to get a killing blow on them and also hope that they don't rack up too many kills before you're able to lock them out um, and that 
is not an easy feat. In fact, it is darn, it is a ridiculously hard mission to win, and it's one of the reasons why when it's like random draw, any heroes of legend who are like Galadriel of Lothlorien, Saruman, um, any sort of non-combatant type heroes are generally looked down on and said, nope, because if I draw a contest, it's game over for me. Yeah, the same with like Moria, the what's his name, the the king of Moria or whatever. Is yeah, Durbitz or yeah, just, yeah, yeah, and and that's I think why like we talked about Articon lists earlier is I think that's one of the reasons why it's so common just to see one, you know, big hero with threes in all the right places as your leader, and then you know fill in the rest of your army with whatever. Yeah. Now there's one last piece I want to bring up here about Saruman, and then I'll pass over to you, Don, to see if you got any last final thoughts. Is that Last edition, Saruman was kind of like your go-to. You'd bring a couple other heroes like Verasku or Maher or Lurch, because Lurch was much cheaper back then. They all had Heroic Strike, and you had Saruman and Grima, and you built out like a, a Berserker list, Ferals and Berserkers and Crossbowmen. Right? And that was like the ideal, the pinnacle list. The pinnacle list in an Isengard army nowadays is actually just mid-tier hero spam, because you've got such fantastic mid-tier heroes for the Dunlending release. You've got your Gorolf Ironskin, you've got your Frida Tallspear, you've got Lurtz, you've got all these amazing heroes that there's a more competitive, uh, much more competitive and viable build in those, so why bother trying to make Saruman work? Yeah, or even some of the legendary legions that you see from Isengard now. Um, we're starting to see some of those more. Yeah, the Assault well, on Helm's so. Deep, a Legendary Legion, and the Lurts of Scouts, Legendary Legion. They're both very strong lists uh, in their own yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And they don't include Saruman. Like, I, when I used to play with Saruman, um, one of the strategies I always used to use was that I would take Thryden with Saruman mm -hmm. because of what we talked about earlier, and it was the Transfix or the Immobilize uh, or the Command. Mm -hmm. um, it was so easy to kill somebody because Thryden comes with his uh, mighty blow. Yep, yep. Um, so, you know, if you immobilize someone and then charge them with Thryden, you're almost looking at a guaranteed uh, kill because you were going to win the fight. You were going to knock them down and trap them. You were going to get double strikes. He only has two attacks, but, mm -hmm. you know, he's going to get three attacks mounted times two is six. And then with mighty blow, like nothing is going to survive that. <laughs> nope. Right. Yep. Um, but unfortunately now it's just like it, it you can't rely on that working. No. And it's just because Thryden is only fight five. Yes, mm -hmm. he does have strike, but um, there's certainly no guarantee now that you're going to win the fight. And, you know, just throwing Thryden out into an exposed position like that is he's not a very survivable hero. No, he's right. really not. Um, you know, and I sort of just as you were mentioning the idea of the old transfix, um, which is a sort of nail in the coffin to Saruman. Um, the Isengard army bonus, um, if you're building a pure Isengard list, is pretty rubbish. Just going to say it out loud. So if you really wanted all of the benefits of old Saruman, just ally in Moria, pick up a couple of bat swarms and maybe like a black shield shaman, and you have a much more effective ally that pretty much costs <laughs> the same as Saruman and does exactly what the old version of Saruman did. Yeah, one of the things you mentioned there was that like kind of the way 
or kind of the new Isengard now since the Warren Rohan book, mm-hmm. um, is, is the tier two spam, like the, or even micro warbanding with yep. all those small heroes. Um, or just like the strength of Isengard is just the Isengard warrior, right? And this mm-hmm. is his home list. Um, and so having like infantry spam, it's like you're playing to the Isengard's special rule, mm-hmm. the army special rule. Mm-hmm. Um, you do not know pain, you shall not know fear. And so you don't have to take um, break tests until 66%. So to make any kind of use out of that rule, you need to hoard out your army as much as you can. And mm-hmm. why wouldn't you? You've got such a really good warrior there to, to hoard out. Yeah. So taking like a, a 200 and what is he, 225 yeah. with Grima? Yeah. I mean, you're sacrificing so much. Like you're basically throwing that rule out the window pretty well. Yeah. Um, and if you consider like Saruman's price tag, um, like instead of taking Saruman and Grima, you could you could take this. You could take Lurts, four Orakai Warrior with Shield, four Orakai Warrior with Pike, four Orakai Warrior with Crossbow, and one Crabane. That's two twenty four. Jeez, that's such a effective. You know, that's a much it's, better it's, choice. It's really jives with your army bonus first mm-hmm. of all, and then when you look now at the current mission selection, like taking a big single caster, it's. It's just a disadvantage. Um, and, and like we've seen that in, in just like when I was talking before about the Articon, you like you just don't see people taking them. Yeah. Um, and of course, quite frankly, like those spammed out lists, like having a, like either mobile troops or just a lot of troops in general, like it, they help you in so many of the missions. Mm-hmm. Like if you were to take Saruman and Grima instead of that unit that I listed there, these are the, these are the missions that you would be giving yourself a disadvantage in. Okay. Mm-hmm. Domination to the death, hold ground, Lords of battle, Reconnoiter, capture and control, storm the camp, command the battlefield, breakthrough, destroy the supplies, divide and conquer. And so eleven out. What's that? And contest of champions. Contests of champions. You could argue that because it entirely depends on your opponent. If your opponent also had a lame leader, then maybe not. But yes, I would include Contests of Champions as well. So it's effectively 12 out of the 18 missions. You're kind of handicapping yourself by taking Saruman and Grima Mm -hmm. over another entire warband. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And the other thing is, when you invest so many points in something, um, and this speaking from experience playing Aragorn, it has to make its points back. It has to have some sort of function. Like Aragorn King LSR doesn't always make his points back, but he breaks your opponent's army, which is sheer killing power. Saruman yeah. doesn't ever make his points back. And he can't do the character assassination like he used to, not to the same degree. Well, that's it, the thing about these big heroes. Like, a, in my mind, like a big hero has to be capable 
of killing another big hero. So you could go the whole game without doing anything, and then on the last turn, kill an enemy big hero, and mm-hmm. suddenly you're you've made your money back in that one turn. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he just he just can't do that. Neither of them can do that. Neither and of them just can to do finish that. off my point about the about the scenarios. Um, so there were six scenarios that I didn't list, and those are the ones that you could probably make an argument that you're not at a disadvantage for taking Saruman, mm-hmm. but it's certainly not a guarantee that you are at an advantage. Right, exactly. You're just kind of, you just took a subpar choice, but it's not going to hurt you in the long run. Yeah, you, 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 could, you could present a debate about it. Exactly, yeah. No, I agree with that. <laughs> Uh, so I know that we had a little bit of a difference of opinion in terms of the army bonus. I mean, you say it, it can be useful in horde-based lists. I think it's just a rubbish uh, army bonus well, in general. <laughs> don't get me wrong. Like, the intention of the list mm-hmm. is that it be for an army of Urukai warriors, yeah. right? If you if you imagine, like, the Urukai that were attacking Helm's Deep, and mm-hmm. it was just, like, a massive rank upon rank of Urukai, that is basically what that, that army bonus is envisioning, yeah. right? And, and the crazy part is, it's cool that it's envisioning that, but now you have the assault on Helm's Deep Legendary Legion that's bar... that's head and foot uh, higher than that kind of a build in normal Isengard list. Yeah, it's one of these it's one of these special rules that you get this in some other games too and it, it's like I, I never like rules that are designed to help you not lose. I mm-hmm. would much rather help a, have a rule that is designed to help you win. Yeah, I see that, yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, so let's move on to how might Saruman make a comeback? Now, we've talked about how he's really not good in the current meta, um, and unfortunately some of these suggestions are actual changes to the rules, um, and that would be one to unnerf Sorcerer's Blast. Bring back old school Sorcerer's Blast, um, and immediately Saruman has teeth again. And I think that isn't, it's not so crippling, and I think it also gives you an amazing ability um, to do a lot of anti-hero control, right? Because, like, it's now... It would now be way easier to dismount enemy heroes. But remember, because Sorcerer's Blast is measured center base, center to base, um, Saruman has to move a lot to pull off some of these shots. So it's not going to be a freebie shot, but at the same time, it's going to allow Saruman to clock up some kills um, and, you know, give him some big... Um, some a lot better chances. Because, um, you know, they've already just changed Black Dart to allow it to dismount enemy heroes. I mean, still, it, it takes a bit to get, it, to get it to go off, but it's now unresistible when firing at mounts. Um, so why not allow Sorcerer's Blast to get a bit of a, a bonus and take it back to where it used to be? Right? Yeah. So, second piece is... That won't happen, by the way. No, I know it won't. Second piece is um, give him a special rule that kind of allows him to delegate someone else in his army to be the leader, which I think would be pretty important for certain missions like Contest of Champions, allowing Lurts to be the leader instead of him. So he's sort of the puppeteer in the background, uh, which I think is quite flavorful, flavorful uh, for Saruman, very thematic, because he's not really the type of person that's on the front lines. He's controlling people. Um, that's why like for here like i totally agree with you on this and i'll jump in with this that's where like to me his special rule the voice of 
Kunir or whatever it's called, which is the 12 inch standfast. Mm -hmm. Although it's a very good rule, it just makes no sense whatsoever for this army. Yeah. Um, because essentially it's like it's a special rule of the army that they don't check for break until 66%. So it's kind of an army that's insulated against checking for break, and yet mm -hmm. one of his special rules, it only kicks in when they break. Yeah. So it, it, it kind of flies in the face of like the army special rule and the way the army is maybe intended to be built mm -hmm. like i do like the idea of of that because saruman in the book it was all about his voice and his ability mm -hmm. to you know cajole people and talk them into doing things or, or whatever mm -hmm. so but like maybe change that rule like maybe the idea that you had there was like you make somebody else in the army your leader or or maybe just make it so that it increases the courage of models within 12 inch mm. by plus one or something like that actually you know what i was thinking that would go really well with this because remember there's a, a scene in i think in the book where they're just like cover your ears don't listen to what he's gonna say um mm -hmm. it would be that the the voice of a allows him to heroically channel um transfix and immobilize without having to spend a point of might you know what I mean? Yeah. So all of a sudden, it's like you're bringing back that old school, I can blast a hero with transfix, now I can send mm -hmm. in a normal hero or even infantry to go kill him. And it sort of fits yeah. that theme where he's like, I, my voice is so powerful that I can make anybody fall under my sway. And that kind of falls in line with that idea. That would certainly give him teeth. I think they'd have to look at his casting values again if he did that, or his uh, rule of the Astari, because then, you know, he's immobilizing on a 2-plus with a re-roll and automatically um, channeling. I don't see that being a big problem. Like, I really don't. Because his huge price tag to begin with, 190 for just himself, he would have to set up two or three character kills before he makes his points back. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's a good point. So he could just become the wizard that goes character hunting. Cool. But you know what? You're paying a significant amount of money for this type of... A significant amount of points for this type of character. Mm -hmm. And he does bring flaws. Your army is much smaller. Um, so it's not like this is just a, like, oh my god, he's now overpowered and broken. There are a lot of checks in place for him. And I think that that sort of the voice of Kudinir, a change to, uh, to that, what I suggested, would be a really good fix for him. Um, okay, so we've we've talked about how like this guy is difficult to to put in a, a lower mid point range army, but like what happens if you ratchet your your point up, like let's say to a thousand point game? It's the highest point level we've ever played at. Yep. You know, is he is he going to be in an army then or or not? So you'll still run into the issue with um, contest champions and some of the other missions, but here's where I would say he actually does have value. He does have value at a thousand points, and here's why. Because almost always at a thousand points, everybody has some big hero, right? It could be the Balrog, it could be Aragorn, it could be Gilgalad, it could be somebody that costs more points than Saruman. So if Saruman literally spends his whole game transfixing that one person, you're mm -hmm. making your points back. Because yeah. I've stopped someone who's more points than me from doing anything for the whole game. And so... That's a situation where Saruman, it could be very good at making his points back. Especially things like going up against a Balrog, uh, you know, with three turns, maybe a preparation, and Saruman's 18-inch range. The, the, Saruman can literally drain a Balrog of will 
right? Just on like hitting him with compels constantly, keeping him out of combat, keeping him transfixed or compelled or sort of locked down where he's not actually killing anything. And all of a sudden these big heroes, which are desperate to make their points back, never will. And so Saruman in those cases is still really good. Uh, and then at a thousand points, you're able to still keep your army at a respectable number, probably in the 40s, while still taking stuff like Lurts, Gorolf, Iron Skin, Maher, that kind of those kind of mid-tier heroes. No, I can see that being uh, being a valuable strategy. Extremely boring, but effective. Yes, you know, it's so. it's what you end up doing. I mean, it's quite common strategy for people that play ring race too. Mm-hmm. Is you you play a ring race, and generally you're you're spending probably half their will casting transfix just yep. to hinder your opponent's heroes uh, for a few turns of the game and Saruman can actually do that much more effectively and at a like longer range yep. uh, and not burn out his will because he gets a free one every turn exactly um, so he's very effective at that strategy it is absolutely not exciting whatsoever no. uh, and very frustrating to play against uh, but it is effective. The one other thing I would say about about him is that, uh, and I've talked about this before, and that's point denial. And he is, he does come with a little bit of point denial because he mm-hmm. is fairly hard to kill mm-hmm. uh, in an Isengard army. So there is that. Um, you're probably not going to have a leader kill mm-hmm. if you have if you have Saruman. Now the beauty about Saruman is because he does have a ranged offensive, like in terms of damaging spell. If you desperately need leader points. Uh, like a point or do a wound to a leader just to get that VP um, he can do it um, with those strength 5 sorceress blasts or like a flame burst so it was some concerted effort if you're looking at sort of scoring a late game point there it's very doable um, now I'll say this sort of as a final wrap up at 800 points and ideally without contest he is playable uh, but I'll say this you are playing Isengard on hard mode um, you have to have a very high skill level to play this type of list and get wins. And I'm almost guaranteeing you that the wins you'll pull are not going to be your average 10 to 12 point win. They're going to be like, you know, 5 to 7. Um, and you might be giving up VPs along the way. Um, so it's doable. Um, it's just you really have to be thinking two to three turns in advance as to where you need to maximize that spell to land um, to really get the most bang for your buck with him. Yeah, you're just no, you're not going to roll your opponent because when you include him in your list, you're just taking too many boots off the ground. Correct. Uh, and, and, and I'll finish off by saying his Palantir rule is very good. Mm-hmm. The problem with it is that he can only do it once. Yeah. Um, so it is very good for an army, which essentially kind of, sort of, in a way, doesn't really have cavalry. Mm-hmm. It, it does now, but... Um, anyway. Okay, so I think that's Saruman the Evil. Let's jump over to Gandalf the Grey. Okay, so let's first caveat this by saying we're not talking about Gandalf the Grey from The Lord of the Rings. We are not talking about Gandalf the Grey from The Hobbit because Gandalf the Grey from The Hobbit is a fantastic model because he is in the Survivors of Lake Town list and he leads troops. Uh, and he leads yep. 15 of them. Um, so at anything from 700 plus points, you auto include Gandalf the Grey. He is a fantastic model in the Survivors of Lake Town list. I could even see some ally options there um, for because you know Survivors has some fantastic green allies to go with him. Uh, so I would. This is nothing to do with that Gandalf the Grey. We're talking Gandalf mm-hmm. the Grey from the Fellowship. 
Even then, though, apparently Bard comes before Gandalf. Oh, Bard absolutely comes before Gandalf. Um, I would choose Gandalf probably at 750 points. I would probably choose Gandalf as my number two hero, followed with uh, Bilbo. Sorry, incorrect. I would choose Bard, followed by the kids, followed by Alfred, followed by Gandalf and Bilbo. And, you know, you Mm -hmm. can... You can pull together like a, a mid 40s uh, model count build at 750 points doing that. But, anyways, we digress. All right. Let's jump into a bit of profile analysis with Gandalf the Grey. His heroic uh, actions are resolve, channeling, and strike. Fantastic. So he has two more than Saruman. That's yes. crazy. And he has the all important strike, which is a big thing. His war so gear- Saruman is supposed to be Gandalf's boss, but. Gandalf has two more heroic actions than exactly. Gandalf. Go figure. Yeah, and also Gandalf comes equipped with Glamdring, which is a hand and a half elven blade that gives plus one strength. This is huge. Moving mm-hmm. Gandalf to strength five means you're wounding defense seven models on fives. That's big. Okay, because most of your mid-tier heroes are defense seven, and a lot of the really super sort of elite models or infantry are defense seven. Okay. Uh, and he also has Narya, which is the Ring of Power, and it lets Gandalf reroll his fate, making him even more resilient. Okay. Um, so far, he sounds way better than Saruman. <laughs> yeah, and so he has already has some really good, I would say, considering he only has one attack, he has some pretty good offensive capabilities, right? He's got the Heroic Strike, he's got the Elven Blade, let's not forget that, it's an Elven Blade, mm-hmm. and he's got plus one strength, right? So that Strength 5 is big. Now, he has a much bigger spell list than Saruman. Uh, a lot, some of these are very situational, I'll say that, and his casting values are always worse than Saruman because he is the gray and not the white. He is blinding light at 2+, terrifying aura at 2+, immobilize at 3+, but 12-inch range, command on a 4+, with 12-inch range, protection of the Valar, which I believe is 3 inches, I didn't write it down, uh, it's, it's, I believe it's 3 inches or 6 inches, I don't remember which, which is on a 4+, strength and will, which I believe is 12 inches at a 4+, collapse rocks, which is either 6 to 12 inches on a 5+, and sorceress blast, which is 12 inches on a 5+. Now, we talk about this huge collection of special rules, which sound fantastic, except for Protection of the Valar, Strength and Will, Collapse Rocks, and Terrifying Aura are all situational, right? If you're going to dive into combat um, uh, for multiple turns, casting Terrifying Aura isn't a bad idea, but it's not going to always save you, okay? If you are going to come across heavy amounts of... um, Magic protection of the Valar is actually quite a good thing while you have priority uh, because you can cast it on someone like, say, Bard or cast on someone like Boromir or something, and all of a sudden they are immune to magic for a turn. Strength and that will. actually doesn't have a range listed, so I'm not sure if maybe it's touch or it might be touch then if that's the case, which is fine because Gandalf's always capable of touching whichever hero he needs to be because he's on a mount. Uh, strength and will on a 4+, plus, that's so situational. Um, you only ever see that when he's paired with Alfred because he's giving trying to give Alfred more will to use his dubious counsel special rule. And that's well, the thing about Gandalf, uh, the thing about Gandalf as well is like some of this stuff could be included because it's like he's in a lot of scenarios. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And that's probably why, like, a lot of this seems like theme or fluff kind of stuff. Like, Collapse Rocks, right? Collapse Rocks, I think, just pretty much is that moment where he, like, screams, you shall not pass on the bridge of Casa Doom, hits his staff on the ground, and explodes the bridge, right? Like, that's Well, he also does it. He also splits the rock in half with the three trolls. That's right. And so, Collapse Rock is situational. You can get into some arguments with your opponent in terms of what constitutes the areas that you can cast Collapse Rocks on. And realistically, it's only ever good in its uh, heroically channeled version. And you're throwing a lot of resources at making that go off because it's down to 5+. Plus. And if you're... Because Collapse Rocks essentially does, I believe, a strength 5 hit to someone who's in a ruin or rocky uh, 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 terrain feature. And if you heroically channel it, it has a two, two inch AOE, right? So sometimes you might catch someone flat footed where they've got six or seven guys within two inches of each other. Like let's say uh, Moria Goblin, or sorry, uh, Goblin, um, the Marauders, whatever they are, the, um, the, from the, the Goblin Town list, uh, the Scouts kind of deal. Uh, they might appear on a terrain piece and then you bang, you hit them with the collapse rocks and you could t- potentially take out five or six of them. Well, one, it costs you a point of might probably cost you three point of will to throw at it because it's a five plus um so it's a pretty resource intensive thing it's not going to be something that goes off often and then the other piece is sorcerer's blast which goes off on a five plus but when you couple that with the nerfs you're not going to be casting it too too many times goblin mercenaries goblin mercenaries thank you (laughs) i appreciate that um and then let's quickly dive into his allies before i turn it over to dawn you are the Fellowship of the Ring, which means you're looking at Lothlorien, Misty Mountains, and Rivendell for green. There is a, a plethora of yellows, and he is a Hero of Valor, so he can go into those. But the issue is that he is 180 points with Mount, and he has no ability to lead troops. At least Saruman can lead troops, Gandalf cannot. So, I'll no. pass it over to you. What do you think? Uh, well, I don't play. I have played Gandalf uh, in the past in the in the old edition, um, but generally I don't play uh, other than dwarves. I don't really play a lot of good. Um, but to me, one of the reasons that you take would take Gandalf because he's only appears in the Fellowship. Like unless you're playing, if you're playing the Fellowship, well, okay, fine. You're throwing being competitive out the window. So pretty much, you're only going to be considering <laughs> Gandalf as a competitive model if you're allying him in. Well, one of the strengths of allying something in is is that they can bring a really valuable troop with them, mm-hmm. and he can't do that. So it takes away one of the reasons you would ally him in. So effectively, the only reason you're allying him in is for his own abilities, which is an expensive wizard model, Mm -hmm. um, which is probably going to struggle to make back his points. So why would you ally him in? Yeah. And I just, I I correct myself. He is actually a hero of legend, not a hero of valor. So if you take Gandalf as an ally, unless you're taking another hero of legend, he is your leader. He's Mm -hmm. not a melee-oriented person. Sure, he's slightly better than um, Saruman, but he's still one attack base. Yeah, and like to me, one of the main reasons you would take Gandalf is thematic reasons. Right. So, you know, whatever scene or army or whatever you're trying to replicate from the movie and you love Gandalf and he's in that scene, so you want him in your list fantastic but 
It's not for a competitive reason. Right. Um, and so why don't we see him? So we've already talked about some of that here, especially with the spells. Let's talk about um, another key piece, cheaper alternatives. Yeah. So you saw Gandalf taken in most lists because of one blinding light. Like I remember in the old days, the Rivendell Knights would bring Gandalf, right? Because you got blinding light from him. You got a lot of utility. The Sorceress Blast, pre-nerf, um, was doing fantastic, right? But mm-hmm. now um, there are cheaper, cheaper alternatives. For example, I hate to keep harping on this one, Galadriel, Lady of Light, is not only 40 points cheaper, 50 points when Gandalf's mounted, uh, is also a hero of valor, so can be in any yellow alliance. Brings an automatic anti-shooting bubble. Brings um, a way better um, spell for anti-defense, anti-spell, anti-magic, which is uh, Fortify Spirit. And not only that, she's fight six, three attacks, and strength four, with three might and heroic. Uh, I could be wrong saying this, heroic strike. But even if she doesn't have that, she's still fight six. Mm-hmm. Who cares? She has yep. three attacks and strength four. Like, she's, like, on roids. And, like, Gandalf doesn't even come close to that. And he's 50 points more expensive. Okay? Yeah, Gandalf was here right now. He would say, I just can't compete with that. Exactly. And the other thing is, because she also brings the one of the best anti-spirit spells in the game, Banishment, she's just an amazing model. She also has negative one to her. Anyways, we've gone through all of this many times and before, because I love this model. Uh, but she's just such a, a, a hands-down better choice than Gandalf. The other piece... The other alternative is Kyrdan. Before elves may take dip into Gandalf to pick up um, the blinding light, well, Kyrdan now brings that. And he also brings some awesome utility powers like Aura of Dismay, which is fantastic for the generally outnumbered elvish force. It also brings Enchanted Blades, which, which synergizes really well because um, most of the top tier uh, elven heroes don't have plus wounding weapons. They don't have lances um, outside of Gilgalad. So Enchanted Blades allowing you to reroll wounds is really big. Um, and mm-hmm. he's like 90 points. So he's like 80 points cheaper than Gandalf. Does all of what Gandalf does. And just a such, a, such a more, more cost-effective choice. Definitely. So we've already talked about all the spells. Okay, we've already talked about how Protection of the Valaris is just a poor man's fortify spirit. Strength of the mm-hmm. Will is really only good with Hobbit-era Gandalf. Sorceress Blast after the nerf is meh. Collapse rocks is so situational. Um, we've already also talked about how Gandalf is just a very expensive model that can't lead troops because he's from the Fellowship. Uh, and then let's kick it up. At higher points levels, like in the eight 900 points, you're going to choose Gandalf the White. For He's a vastly superior choice for 50 more points. He has Fortify Spirit. All the spells are easier to cast. He has Banishment as well. He has, which is amazing in Spirits as we talked about, he has a defense of six and two attacks and he can lead 15 troops from the Minas Tirith list. Like he has all these extra advantages for 50 more points. If you're going to play an 800, 900 point list, don't choose the gray version. Just yeah, it, the it almost seems silly when you when you compare all <laughs> that stuff you're getting and it, and the difference in points is only 50 points. Like to me, it doesn't suggest that Gandalf the White should be more expensive. It suggests that Gandalf the Gray should be less expensive. Oh, totally agree. I totally agree. I think you know. I think this guy needs a serious chop in terms of points. I mean, I could see him being down in the 150, 140 range. And he's all of a sudden a little more enticing to take. Because, again, he's not a leader. Um, so how might he make a comeback? Okay, so 
let's talk about the alternatives. Nerfing Galadriel Lady of Light, um, dropping her to maybe a Hero of Fortitude, which will start making people think about, okay, I need to get Gandalf because there's it's really hard for me to get this sort of really effective model, okay? Uh, secondly, nerf Fortify Spirit. It needs to be nerfed. Um, it is such an easy ability to always be casting on everybody. Like, it could just be cast Fortify Spirit only affects one model at a time. Can't be casted 17 times. Um, something to that effect, because when you look at comparing Protection of Alar to it, it's just no competition. Um, so in both those cases, though, you're not doing anything for Gandalf. You're just... You're, you're making the obvious choices that you would take instead of him less desirable. Correct, unfortunately. But then again, Glad Relative Light's taken a lot, so that sort of mm -hmm. hits a more of a community-wide uh, issue. Uh, unnerf Sorcerer's Blast. I mean, let's be honest, same reasons for why uh, Saruman the evil mm -hmm. needs it, Gandalf needs it, because he needs more teeth, right? Um, I'd also consider reducing Gandalf the Grey's status from Hero of Legend to Hero of Valor which then allows him to be in those yellow lists and he's not your leader, right? So that makes him a little more enticing as well. Um, and then I would also say, this is crazy, I'm just throwing this one out. Give him a special rule called friend of all, right? Uh, so that he automatically counts as being part of any army list that the fellowship has a green alliance with. And that way he can actually lead the troops and benefit from the army bonuses, right? So, because Gandalf has been always been known as the pilgrim, he's always the one that runs around, and he's known to all as the friend, Gandalf the friend, right? Mm -hmm. So why can't Gandalf have this really unique and thematic special rule that allows him to actually just be a part of other people's army lists? Which, yeah, I like that rule. I like that idea. Which, I, I'm sure they could come up with something like that anyways. Yeah, exactly. Which then would allow him to like get over that, like, yes, Gandalf has a high price tag, but guess what? I can take him maybe as a hero of valor... Uh, in other army lists that he now can lead troops. So it's like, okay, that, that price tag's a little more... Um, uh, I can deal with that a bit more, right? And then all of a sudden, like armies like Rivendell or Misty Mountains, uh, which are Green Alliance, might say, hmm, you know, it wouldn't be bad to have a really you know, strong caster um, to go along with my force. Uh, or I shouldn't say strong caster, but a, a, a decent caster for throwing out some transfixes. Because what it would do is it could create some interesting Misty Mountain lists where you have Gandalf and you have Gwahir. Well, let me tell you, Angmar works so beautifully which the, with the Witch King and Gulivar. Good doesn't have that equivalent. So if you had Sarah, so if you had Gandalf uh, casting Transfixes and then Gwahir with his with his Fight Eight, you kind of have the same kind of combo. So. Yeah, I was just looking at the, the book because I never really thought about Gandalf as being the hero of legend, but yeah, he is in he's the hero of legend in the fellowship and, and Aragorn is Valor. Which I don't know. I guess it makes sense because like, you know, the whole fellowship thing, it's Gandalf's party, yeah. you know, in a sense. Um but really it's all about uh Aragorn. In yeah. the end, anyways, it's all about Aragorn. Um so is it strange that he's the hero of legend and Aragorn is a hero of valor? Maybe at that point in the story, when the Fellowship was was leaving Rivendell, yes, he was the hero of legend and Aragorn mm -hmm. was just valor. But, you know, later on, certainly Aragorn becomes a hero of legend. Right, yeah. I mean, now I'm talking about this from 
a competitive standpoint, not a thematic standpoint. Yeah. Was Gandalf the leader of the Fellowship? Yes. No one disagrees with that. The moment the breaking of the Fellowship happened, or the moment Moria happened, Aragorn had to sort of assume the role of leader, right? But from a competitive standpoint, having him be the hero of legend is such a downgrade for him that it really sort of like, hey, he's the de facto leader, and it's like fantastic, but he can't kill anything very well. <laughs> yeah. So you kind of you're kind of making a reason for him not to be taken. Uh, well, and the other problem is like if you're going to take the fellowship at lower points values, you take the breaking of the fellowship at 600 points. Yeah. You get all these amazing benefits. Unfortunately, Gandalf's not there, but who cares? All of your guys get like you know like pumped to the nines, um, and it's such a better army list at 600 and plus 600 and less. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. They all come with all their new toys as well. Exactly. So, yeah. Do you have any closing thoughts on this one? Not really. Um, like, we're talking from a competitive point of view. Uh, I, I wish Gandalf was a, a model that we would see more on the table because they, he has so many models. Like, there are yeah. so many models of Gandalf the Grey. And, like, in the current meta, you just never see him. Yeah. You know, unless you're someone's playing the fellowship, and then maybe you'll see him. Yeah, you know where we do see him, the Canadian Shire. Yeah, we do yeah. see him at, at our tournament. When yeah. you see him at the Canadian Shire, that means he sucks. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Well, should we leave that as the as the final word? <laughs> yeah, I think we should leave that as the final word. Uh, so to answer the question, where art thou, Saruman and Gandalf? Uh, they have decided to relax and or thank, sipping a cup of tea, and they're going to set this edition out. All that is gold does not glitter, Andrew. I know. Uh, and we had a question, which we already read a part of it from Samuel Thompson. So um, he was talking to us about the TBD Chronicles, which we read that earlier. Yep. The second part of his email was actually a question. And he says, and while I'm here, I might as well ask a question, right? Mm -hmm. Going into another tournament year, finally, I want to play an army that hasn't seen much play in our meta. And that doesn't have all the essential things you'd want in an army, and that is conned. Mentally, it's hard for me to take a huge loss and not switch armies automatically for future tournaments. Mm -hmm. What tips and tricks um, do you guys use to keep a clear mindset about armies you really want to play and do well with? But have, um, but have or had a rough time starting out with. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is a hard question for me to answer because I hate building a list that doesn't have all the right tools. I know. I, I can remember sitting in games where I don't have shooting and I'm up against a Mimac and it's like, oh my God, my kingdom for like 33% bow limit right now. <laughs> You know, so, I hear you, yeah. So, I like what, what, like, break down his question again. Is it pretty much just like how do you deal with the well, fact that you might lose it incessantly? Essentially, his question is the last sentence, which was, 
Um, what are tips and tricks you guys use to keep a clear mindset about armies you really want to play and do well, uh, but have or have had a rough time starting out with? Mm. So you're playing a new army, you want to do well with it, um, but you've had a, a rough start, let's say. What, what trips, tips or tricks do we have to put them on the right path, I guess. Okay, well, then uh, I think it's important to change your mindset almost immediately, right? You're coming into this mindset, like I'm gonna play this army and I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in competitive mode, right? So I'm playing to win. Uh, it's a brand new army, but I haven't sort of figured out all the intricacies of it. So I think what you need to start doing immediately is change your mindset to be going from I'm in competitive mode to I'm in learning mode. Because yeah. when you're in I'm in learning mode, you do not care if you win or lose, right? You're just like, I will take every opportunity to learn about this list. I expect to lose, but if I win, that's fantastic. And I'm going to have a notebook beside me, right? Like a small little notebook beside me in the game. Maybe jot down a couple of notes uh, of things I remember immediately after the loss. Or maybe mid-game, I'm like, oh, I did this one thing. I wish I hadn't done that. Make a note of it. And so all of a sudden you start learning your army and you are single-mindedly focused on learning your army so that you can like start making leaps and bounds. Because what's going to happen is if you don't have this focus, you're going to start thinking to yourself, every other external factor possible caused me to lose the game. Like the time ran out or my opponent was slow playing, perceived slow playing, or the dice failed me or some other useless external factor that doesn't actually teach you how to play the game or how to learn this list. So really dive into it. what actually caused the losses. Eventually, you'll get to the point where you're no longer surprised you're winning, where your win record will switch to maybe 50%, 52%, you know, more wins than losses. And it's at that point that you want to switch your mindset back to the competitive mode, right? Where you're like, okay, I'm now, I'm ready to go, I'm in this to win it, and that's my focus. So that's my initial yeah, sort, of I think, sort of thoughts. Yeah, that's you're pretty much on the same page as where I was. Like my, my first... My first little note that I wrote down um, was stop caring if you win or lose, um, which is basically what you said. Um, and I noticed like clearly uh, as part of the question, he, he actually specifically says that he wants to play and do well with the army. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, well, if you really want to do well with the army, then you have to play a lot with the army. Yeah. Um, you're, you're not going to just put in our brand new army on the table and do well with it without having a lot of games under your belt. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta stow the, um, you know, caring about winning and losing and just play games, play games, play games. And when you play games, don't keep playing the same list all the time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I know you may not have all of the units in the army, but ideally, like, try different army builds, try different units, mm -hmm. um, you know, find out what they're good at or what they're bad at. And like Andrew said, it's just, it's very common for people to try a new army and get frustrated early with it and just get rid of it, right? Yeah. But, you know, every army can be played um, and played well, mm -hmm. with a few exceptions, but... Um, you have to you have to realize that when you lose games, a lot of that is within your control. Yes, it's yep. a game of random dice, 
Um, and sometimes those eclipse everything. But for the most part, if you, if you lose a game, there's a reason for it. And you probably could have done something about it to, you know, at least maybe improved your position a little bit. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would say is you have your army, right? And there's two components to this. Um, the research phase and the practice phase. And like Don said, the practice phase. So in the research phase, you know your army. The internet has a wide like, like library of information when it comes to your army. When it comes to people who play your army exclusively, they know the tips and tricks backwards and forwards, and they're willing to tell you. We have... Uh, MESPG has got so many podcasts, so many YouTube channels, and all this stuff that talks about all of the armies. Find that episode that talks about your army and listen to it. I almost bet the Green Dragon podcast has done every single army. Listen to their two, three-hour podcast for that, your particular army, and you will get such an in-depth breakdown of how your army works. So this at least gets you into the right mindset so that your brain is kind of working uh, with those tactics and strategies that are tried, tested, and true by other people. Okay? Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. Uh, I know for a fact that Green Dragon has an excellent episode on Cond. Oh my God, uh, Cond. I hate their chariots. Just if you're not including yeah. chariots in your list, include chariots because they're brutal. Um, the other piece to um, this is that you talk about the tournament scene. You want know, to talk about not wanting to take a loss in a tournament scene or continual losses. Um, find yourself a practice buddy, you know, that you can play outside the tournaments, all right? Any of that means a little bit of a drive, right? Go to their house on a Sunday, play a game or two if you can, you know, you know COVID-considered situations. Um, and then that way you can, because when you're practicing with people at their home, like the vibe is totally different, right? You take a loss there, you don't really care. You're there to learn, right? That's the expectation, so the more practice games, out of tournament practice games you can get, the better, because you don't want to be practicing your list at a tournament for the first time. You can be fine-tuning your, uh, your, your list at a tournament, don't get me wrong, and you still want to have that learner's mindset sometimes if you're not quite confident in your list yet, um, but try to get as many games as possible outside of a tournament to get that, those, uh, the rust off your, uh, your, your, your tactics and strategies. Yeah, and one thing I would add as well is that most armies, like we, we did a whole series on army types. Mm -hmm. um, so you could look at that as gimmicks or you could look at it as uh, tactics, common tactics that armies use. Um, so most armies have a sort of default tactic or army type they use so figure out what that is in your army and what it is that you want to play in your army and and embrace that like if you're if you were going to play goblin town well you know it's a horde army it is the horde army right so mm -hmm. you know embrace the fact that you're playing a horde army and don't worry about having big characters and all that and you're letting your goblins do the work for you so with con like if you drew said if you're gonna if you're going with a heavy chariot bill well then build and embrace the chariot that's what your army's all about so you got to learn about that unit and mm -hmm. what it does well against or what doesn't do well against what terrain is terrible for it or what missions are good what missions are bad 
you know yeah. yeah and the only way you can do that is just by playing the game and playing as many different armies mm-hmm. on as many different tables as many different missions it's the only way to it's the only way to learn agreed agreed so yeah um last piece i can give for those who are sort of tips and tricks on <clears throat> uh, figuring this out is visualizing right like again we talked about this and sort of like preparing for a tournament um, yeah. way way back in the early episodes and that's about visualizing every mission you could play from your scenario packs Vi- visualize how your army would play and like Don said about the army types how would your army play against those army types and it's important here not to daydream about the unrealistic expectations start visualizing tactics and strategies you would use and visualize how the game would sort of go um, like if I push all my chariots up and hit a horde army I'll just kill a bunch of guys and then they'll swarm me so that doesn't work right so as you start visualizing it you actually sort of get yourself moving in the right direction uh, and uh, visualization plus practice uh, maximizes your learning right plus research researching as I said before researching your army and listening to all those amazing YouTube channels and podcasts um, those are your best opportunities for really sort of amping up uh, a really I should say that your best opportunities for flattening the learning curve on your list and being able to pick it up uh, very quickly and um, do really well with it. Awesome. That's some good advice. Shall we, uh, is that it? Have you exhausted yourself on this question? I think so. I think so. All right, shall we? Uh, well, let's um, remind people to send us questions mm. um, because we, we probably do need a few more questions. Uh, so you can easily ask us a question uh, and tag it to our Facebook posts when we, we post up our newest episode. Mm. Or you can email us a question at. Oh, Andrew. sorry, it's me. Uh, that's North you. of the Shire Podcast 1, the number one, at gmail.com. Right on. Okay, let's move on to the next segment. Now on to my favorite segment that I'm the least prepared for. What have I got in my pocket? And I will not explain how it works because Don gave me crap last time I did this. So, oh, go knock yourself out! Come on. Not a chance. Not Come a on. chance. What is it? What's a, what's what have you got? I'm going to ask you a question. You're going to ask me a question, and we got to like we're shooting from the hip. You got to answer right, that way. Right. You're making me feel bad. You're Good, making me feel you bad. I, sh- I shut you down last time. <laughs> you did. Devastated. Devastated. So instead, this time around, you're going to ask me the question first. Okay, I got a question for you. And this, yes. this is a super easy question. This is the ABC question. All right? Okay. What do you think, like in your opinion, what is the best non-magical, non-unique weapon in the game and i'm taking the great bow off the table it's not available for this question oh okay best non-magical non-unique weapon in the game hmm this is a great question so there's tons of choices here i know um and you kind of need to define what best really is honestly Mm, it's true because there's a, there's a lot to choose from. Like, you know, even uh, like Elven Blade could be on there. Could you could be. go Throwing Weapon. You Throwing could go weapons. Lance. You could go Crossbow, Elven yeah. Bow. 
two-handed weapon you know there's there's all kinds the whip you know you could you could go whip uh no i'm not going sharky's rogues get out of here maybe the <laughs> berserker blade Ooh. berserker blade yeah that's terrible uh, you can whirl with that apparently you can whirl at initiative but the problem is if you win the fight you hit your own <laughs> guy in the process <laughs> If you're a listener and you have ever whirled with a Berserker Blade, please tell us about it. It is super nasty. I was reading it. It's like you do a strength four hit, a plus one to wound to everybody you're in combat with, friend or foe, and you still count as being fight four, which I thought, dang, that's really good. Then I realized you hit your own people as well, and I'm like, and that just went to crap. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Okay, so the best weapon... um, Bada, 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 bada. Now, see, I can't remember everything, um, so I'm pretty sure I'm going to, like, roll over someone's idea. Um, but my well, idea me, of the best weapon is something that impacts the game in a way that n- almost nothing else does and is highly versatile. Last edition, my opinion of the best troop in the game was the Urukai warrior with pike and crossbow that was the best troop in the game because you had a strength four crossbow and a pike all on one model and it was the best unit because it was the most versatile it could you know so yeah so it could and, shoot. and i'm one of those guys that has 12 of those converted in my oh, yeah, army so box I. right now that haven't seen the light of day since this edition pretty hit. much yeah same as same here same here so, my idea, using those parameters, something that changes the game and something that um, is extremely versatile, which I'm sure, after listening to the Dream Green Dragon podcast, they will disagree with me, possibly, is the Elven Glaive. I've been listening to their Thranduil's Halls episode, and they, uh, mm-hmm. from what I could tell, and I could be wrong in saying this, they don't rate it very well just because of two points, but I say it's the best weapon in the game, and the reason I say is threefold. It is a weapon that lets you use uh, it as a hand-and-a-half elven blade, so you can go two-handed with it. You can go one-handed with it. You can use it as a spear. And you can shield with it. Okay, so mm-hmm. if you imagine your back line of, of uh, Thranduil's Hall's elves wielding glaives, all of a sudden I can spear support, I can run around the flanks, I can two-hand, and if I desperately need to, I can run them off into multiple foes and shield to buy time for my army. I can do all of that for two points. And I get the Elven Blade special, which means if I win duels with my higher fight value, I win duels on a three plus. For yeah, tie if fight. you tie, you mean if you tie. For tie duels. fight, that's correct. If yeah. I if I if um, I tie a fight um, at similar fight value, then um, I win the duel roll off on a three plus. Getting four things. Is it four? Hand and a half elven blade for striking normally and um, two handed. That's two spear shielding and the elven blade. Five things for two points. That's really solid. That that is pretty good. I I didn't even think of that one actually, because uh, there is there are quite a few weapons now that sort of have dual dual capabilities, mm-hmm. um, like the Iron Hills Matic, or mm-hmm. the um, there's a couple of armies now that have like the Dunland Huskarl has the 
combo of spear and two-handed weapon and mm-hmm. the fiefdoms guys uh axemen of lost and arch have that as well mm-hmm. uh, so there are things like that out there now um certainly those are you know two for one those yep. are both one pointers i think i think so uh yeah that's cool because cool. shielding is considered to be one of the biggest and strongest rules in the game it is right yeah so being able to maybe not equip your elves with shields but they can fulfill the role of shielding or have a shield uh bearer when they need to uh is really key all right, so the Elven Glaive. The Elven Glaive from Thrandor's Is your Alms. answer. That's my answer for two points. That's Five a good things. answer. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Well done, sir. You know, the problem is I listen to the Green Dragon podcast, and I listen to some of these episodes, and these guys, like, they're so good. They're like salesmen. They're so good at selling me on the, the, that army. I'm like, oh, I want to buy it now. And I'm like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> Rangers of Athelion, got to get it done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I haven't actually started listening to that. I did download it. It's on my phone, but I haven't. Uh, it's it's since one. I've started listening to so many different podcasts now, only a few of which are MESBG, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's taken me a lot longer to get through all the podcasts. Uh-oh. Well, you got yeah. a, a long track to work Dane, uh, there and I back, do. so you kind of yeah. chew through them fairly quick, I think. Yeah, that's true. True. All right, so my question to you. All right, let me get uh, my notes. The surprise supplement of the year, which we didn't know about, is the mm-hmm. fall of the necromancer. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, we didn't expect that. We knew the war in the north was coming, but we did not expect the fall of the necromancer to be coming out. Okay. They talk about four new legendary legions, two of which are the Vanquishers of the Necromancer, and the pits of Dol Guldur. My question to you is, what do you think are the other two legendary legions? Given the okay, history, le- given the history of the lead-up between the creation of Dol Guldur to the death of the Necromancer, what do you? Because that's the that's the, the the sort of range that they've given, right? That's because they're, that's they're pitching you. So, what do you think are the other two legendary legions? Okay, we're, you're going to have to help me out here. So what are the two that you said that they told us? And, and tell me about those lists. So these are the Vanquishers of the Necromancer, which is essentially the White Council. So they're okay. probably going to Breaking of the Fellowship the White Council, which means give them a, a crud load of special rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's the Pits of Dol Guldur, where I believe the Keeper of the Dungeons was probably ruling over those. Do you remember that? There was a scene where Gandalf was sort of hanging in the movies. Yeah, uh, yeah. And he's overlooking the pits. Those are the Pits of Dol Guldur. So it could be a Felwarg kind of like all cav list and maybe a, a beefed up um, Dungeon Keeper of Dol, or the, the Keeper of the Dungeons. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe finally a list that uses Dol Guldur that doesn't have the Necromancer tied to it uh, for yeah. an army bonus. So, well, I see, so that one there is is obviously an evil list, um, but it, it, we don't really specifically know the definition of that. I, I assume you're going to have one list that is going to be like when Gandalf was looking down into the pens and he saw like lots of you know orcs and 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 fell wards down there so you know you could you could have one list and it may be that one well that's uh, the pits where, of Dogledur. yeah where you have have all those units in mm-hmm. and then there's going to be another list of course which is you know the one we were very familiar with before that was you know essentially led by the necromancer and had the the nine nazgul in it mm-hmm. um so so 
on the evil side i see those are the two lists that are that are going to be in the book i don't know if we would see anything else so they've said there's only going to be four four total or four are they legendary legions or are they legendary legions yep so there's four legendary legions the, so the one the one with the necromancer and all the nazgul that isn't on the table then because that is already a list that exists correct yeah right so so that's off the table so um, let me let me let me give you they've got they say there's 13 narrative play scenarios and it's going to start uh-huh. from the founding of dol guldur all okay. the way to the fall of the necromancer so that's kind of your range to pick two other legendary legions from yeah unfortunately i'm not uh uh, I'm not familiar with all the lore of the creation of of Dal Guldur, so mm. I, I don't think I can, I don't think I well, can speculate. But well, like for me, I would say certainly one model is the, like the Castellan of Dal Guldur mm. really isn't featured prominently right now. I don't think no. in any of the lists. So um, I think we could see a legendary legion that certainly has those in it. Like they may have a legendary legion that does have the Nazgul in it, but doesn't necessarily rely on the Necromancer to be there. And it may not be all of the nine. It may be just one. Mm-hmm. Like pick pick which one you want. Pick some Castellans. You know, uh, maybe throw in some like Mirkwood Spiders and mm. War Felwargs and that kind of stuff tie the dark denizens um, of mirkwood to um dol Guldur. yeah like uh, from an evil perspective i'm not sure how else they could go with a list like if we're looking back in time um we've got two i assume they're gonna have two good and two evil legendary legions yeah. so what's your good and what's your evil so you you're, you're pitching me i'm hearing that you're looking at a legendary legion that incorporates dark denizens of Mirkwood with Dolguldur elements. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're pitching? Yes. Okay. I suppose they could also go with a uh, because, like, when we encountered the necromancer, like in the Hobbit, mm-hmm. the necromancer was at the point where he was becoming um, almost to the uh, Sauron point of power if you will mm-hmm. um so i suppose they they could they could roll it back like a lot earlier where he was he was way weaker mm-hmm. and, and so essentially you have like let's say you know something you know half as strong like maybe something equivalent to a ring wraith um and he would be the central figure of a legendary legion and maybe be surrounded by the things like Castellan of Dol Guldur um, and no no Nazgul because they came later, mm-hmm. right? Like when he released them again. Mm-hmm. Um, but he could still have, you know, bringing orcs and fell wargs and, and all of that to him. So you could have like an army like that led by like a, a low-powered... Um, um, Oh, I've lost his Necromancer? Name. Necromancer, yeah. So that that's my guess, actually. That's going to be my guess. Okay. And then what about on the good side? So on the good side, um, hmm. So we know we've got the White Council, uh, and that is not a legendary legion. But well, you said the legendary legion that they did mention was... The Vanquishers uh, of the Necromancer. The Vanquishers. Which so, you knew there was four like, in the lore, it wasn't just the White Council that took down Dol Guldur. Mm-hmm. Like, they had a whole pile of elves with them as well. Um, so I assume that's what that list is. So, did the elves... Yeah, but the elves came... 
Like it was a combined faction of Lothlorien and Mirkwood that rolled up to the keep and then Galadriel just like uh, destroyed it with sort of her magic. But that was well after he left, was it not? Like certainly in certainly in the movie, they portray Galadriel as having an a, like an overwhelming um, role in the destruction of, if not Dol Guldur, in like banishing, let's say, mm-hmm. the necromancer, right? And I'm not sure in the lore that's what what it was. It might have been, but I'm not sure. Um, in the lore, as far as I recall, it was much more much more army-ish than mm-hmm. just the White Council. It was, you know, it was like a proper force that, like, attacked Dol Guldur, as far as I recall reading. Mm. So maybe um, it could be a White Council-led army with elves yeah. as troops. Yeah, essentially, yeah, that's what I think they're describing with the one that, that you mentioned. But mm-hmm. what the second one would be, uh, good question. Um, that one is tough. I, I'm, I really don't know, to be honest. Um, what do you think? Do you have any ideas on that? Or uh, I think here's what my pitch is for the other evil faction. I think they're going to go in a different direction. I think they're going to make a legendary legion focused entirely upon the Necromancer and the Nine. And I think they're going to like upgun the Necromancer to like like stupidly strong levels. Um, because it was Galadriel that knocked him down by um, using up a considerable amount of her energy or power. And based on the movies, that is, it looked like she w- she'd sort of done this and it had permanent uh, impact upon her body. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So maybe it could be like the Necromancer Ascendant, if you would. And he's in like on the cusp of transforming into Sauron or like moving on to become the Eye. And you'd have sort of a, an improved stat profile for that Necromancer. Um, mm-hmm. because he's a rather underwhelming model right now, I find, the Necromancer. He's probably, he's overcosted. He does a, a decent job, but he's generally mm-hmm. overcosted. So I think if they sort of tweaked his profile and created it specifically around the Nine, and kind of the idea being there's two legendary legions, one where it's the Nine plus a Necromancer, and two, it's the Vanquishers and the Necromancer, and that way you can have those sort of thematic fights, legendary legion versus legendary legion. Mm-hmm. And then I think that would be the evil one. And then the good one, outside of something like a Thranduil's Halls, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's their flight south um, doing like, something honestly, like that. Like, honestly, what else could it be? It's It's got to be something focused on Thranduil's Halls. Like, yeah. maybe this is like a, a Legolas or Toriel type of legendary legion. I don't know. Well, I think it would be, it would probably be a Thranduil specific one that maybe focused on not on those two because they probably weren't alive at that point um, and focused just on Thranduil and captains and this and that. Um, and it was, or it could be um, literally a White Council led army, which we haven't seen before. That'd be cool, right? Like the Vanquishers, the Necromancer would be just like the White Council. But then another mm-hmm. legendary legion would be the White Council, plus they can actually lead troops now. Yeah, right. and they could make a legendary legion where um, Galadriel, Lady of Light, is even better than she already is. I figure the Vanquisher is the Necromancer. That's actually going to be <laughs> the case. She is going to be souped oh up, God. souped up. 
Strength 10, defense 10, you know, banishment goes off, it hits everything in an AoE, you know, baseline fortify spirit on seven <laughs> dice, the whole shebang, for 140 points. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> I, you know the scene where um, Legolas and Toriel and the Mirkwood mm -hmm. uh, Rangers all capture the um, Thorns Company? Yep. Like, do we currently have any kind of army list or legendary legion uh, on the elf side that represents something like that? We don't. We only have an army special rule that allows Mirkwood Rangers to be not counting towards bow limit. So you could do that kind of a list. It would be really cool to see it. You know what I mean? Like, because right now the Mirkwood Rangers got knocked down a big notch. Right? Yeah. You're not able to run a Mirkwood Ranger, a pure Mirkwood Ranger list. Um, no. Uh, competitively, but maybe we could see a legendary legion that specifically focuses on Legolas, Tariel, Mirkwood Ranger Captain, and just Mirkwood Rangers, and then a bunch of special rules around that. Like we talked about that during our episode, uh, our leaf blower episode, where I threw that out and mm -hmm. basically said, you know, we've had this 100% shooting army for a while, but nobody ever plays it, you never see it, and essentially it's because it's too small of an army. Yeah. Right? The units are just too expensive. Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe we could see something there with uh, basically that army, which we already have, but toss in your legendary legion special rules galore, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. and it's suddenly a lot better. Agreed. You know, Legolas would be without the Orcrist because it wasn't around back then. Uh, and then there'd be no mounts, and yeah, they would just uh, run around. Who knows what special rules they would give them if that was a thing, you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. like, they're still just defense three elves for 14 points. You'd have to give them something like... This is where what we've talked about before is like your ambushing style rule. It would have to be, yeah. Like the entire yeah, army could like... Thing. The, like it would be a really a really cool, unique thing would be like like they <laughs> all can be deployed by ambush. You know what I mean? So you have literally yeah. have an army that's not even on the table at the beginning of the game. <laughs> it's the first deep striking unit in all of MESBG. <laughs> you could, but that would actually be really cool because that would showcase that moment where like Legolas and Tariel's sliding down branches uh, yeah, all yeah. around the uh, the, uh, the dwarves. And weren't they like sliding down the spider webs and stuff yeah. into into the action? Exactly, yeah. right? There you go. So that's it. That's that's it. That's the Merkwood army. <laughs> I look forward to it. Now if we can only buy the miniatures because they've been out of stock for a long time. <laughs> maybe the maybe that's what will bring them back. Follow the Necromancer yeah. with Mirkwood Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Same? Okay. Uh, I think that's it for this, sec uh, this uh, section. It is. It is. All right. Let's move on to the next one. Now on to the moment you've all been waiting for, the TBD Chronicles. Last time on TBD Chronicles, <laughs> the female ranger and Garther were beset upon by two orcs on Warg, uh, and after a dramatic display of pure awesomeness, we dialed up their characteristics to 12, and they happily dispatched one and took the other one prisoner. Right on. Then, after a very lengthy interrogation, where the orc thought he had their number, 
he realized all too late he had been poisoned. By uh, yeah, we found out the, the cruel depths of Elioneth. That's right. And we also found out Elioneth's name. The female ranger's name is Elioneth. And she has sworn herself to Garther, for they are oath-bound. And now right. we move on to the next segment, written and narrated by Don. That's me. That's right. It took me a while to write this one, honestly, too. Well, just also because we've been so busy. But um, like I was just saying, you know, we we were looking like we're going to head into a fight. And, you know, it's it's not just about, okay, they move, they travel to the 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 ruins in the orc camp and draw their swords. It's like, no, it's got to be a little bit more than that. Oh, he's going to write. We need some we need some character development. He's going to write some filler and he's going to stop right at the edge of the orc encampment and say, "Okay, it's time for you to take over. How did you know? You knew exactly what I was going to do. That's exactly it. <laughs> well, this is a fight, I think. You know, this coming fight, you know, this isn't this isn't a one-sequence fight. It can't be. It can't be. No. This has got to be more than that. Also, yeah. these, are not, these are not the Fellowship of the Ring people, okay? No. Two people going up against at least a dozen orcs does not happen in one sequence. Yeah, this isn't Legolas. This isn't Legolas and Aragorn here. Exactly. (laughs) Because, like, you wouldn't, like, in reality, two versus 12, you're dead. Like, odds are the two are dead. So it's got to be a little pizzazz, you know? Got to make it believable, man. That's right. Alrighty. All right, shall I get into this or Let's what? This it. is the fifth part of our story, by the way. So if you haven't listened to the other four parts, you know, what are you doing? Okay. Go listen to the other Pause episodes. Pause this episode, re-listen to the other four parts, and then come back. Yeah. All right, am I good to go? You're good to go. Okay, here we go. Garther and Elioneth had dragged the dead orc a good distance away from their impromptu camp. They hid the body in some brush around the far side of the broken skulls. While walking back to camp, Elioneth paused to admire their setup. A light rain had started to fall, so they had moved their fire under a slight overhang on one of the massive boulders. Garther had deployed a small tarp from his pack, and after knocking a few nails into the cracks in the rock, he had strung it up over their little nook. Now they had some shelter from the weather, which was a very welcome, as they both desperately needed some rest. She suddenly realized that Garther was not beside her and turned to see what was holding him up. Garther was just rounding the far boulder while shoving his axe back into his belt. What are you doing? she asked Garther. Just making sure he was dead. You can never be too sure. They retreated from the weather, taking up positions under the tarp on either side of their small fire. Garther lifted the shield he had recovered from the dead war rider to inspect it further. Although it had not been well cared for, it was certainly not made by any orc. It was a stout wooden shield trimmed with metal and sported a metal cross on its facing. It was way beyond orc craftsmanship but not even close to what a dwarf smith could do. All the same, it was a very serviceable shield, and with the injury to his hand, he would not be able to use his bow effectively for quite some time, so he intended to use this shield in the coming fight. Garther said suddenly, 
I intend to kill all the orcs in that camp yonder. I'm not sure if what that orc said was true, but no doubt they have killed some of my people. I will probably die in the attempt, but I can't live with that knowledge and do nothing. I don't expect you to throw your life away in what is probably the foolish decision of a stubborn dwarf. Stubborn dwarf or no, you saved my life, and I don't take that life lightly. I'm oath-bound, and I will stay with you until my debt is paid. However, that doesn't mean we have to charge into that orc camp like a couple of half-mad berserkers with some kind of death wish. Let's talk through what we know and come up with a plan. Garther just grunted and nodded his head in agreement. Elioneth continued, Now tell me everything you know about this ruin. Several hours later, Garther sat with his back to the rock, keeping watch, while he turned over the events in the day in his mind. He had dug out his pipe and was enjoying a smoke while he listened to the steady rain hitting the tarp. Elioneth lay sleeping on the other side of their small fire, which had now burned down to glowing embers. He placed a small twig on the hot embers and watched as flames sprang up to consume it. Staring at the fire, he spoke the words softly, almost unconsciously. I sit beside the fire and think of people long ago and people who will see a world that I shall never know. A steady trickle of water came down off the tarp and splashed on the ground. Garther had been capturing the rain in a large metal cup he had retrieved from his pack. He had already drunk his fill and topped up both their water skins. Now he was preparing to cook some gruel over the hot coals of the fire. He hadn't eaten anything for almost a full day and his stomach was protesting loudly. This small meal wouldn't be much, but it would have to do until they were able to find something more substantial. After several hours, Garther woke Elioneth so she could keep watch while he got some sleep. He lay down on, with his cloak around him, his head on his pack, and was asleep in seconds. Elioneth stoked the small fire and added a couple of sticks to keep it going. Sitting on the ground, she went through a series of stretches. She did this every morning upon rising to work out any stiffness and keep her muscles loose. There was going to be a fight, and her acrobatic fighting style demanded that she look after herself. She glanced over at Garther and listened to his steady breathing. When she was sure he was asleep, she retrieved the leather satchel, opened the flap, and withdrew a bundle wrapped in cloth. She lay it on the ground in front of her and untied the string that held the bundle together. Carefully unfolding the cloth wrapping, she arranged the contents held within and began to go over them. There were two small metallic objects of unusual shape. She picked up each in turn and briefly examined them in the dim light, more with her sense of touch than anything else. Both were flat, finely crafted, and about the size of a small brooch. The first was in the shape of a crescent moon, with several runes embossed into its surface, while the second looked more like a coin and held a small red gem at its center. Both pieces fit together to become one,
with another spot obviously available to fit a third piece, the missing piece. There was also a small notebook with a leather cover. It was old and well-worn, most of its pages wrinkled and dog-eared. Stuffed inside the notebook was a separate piece of fit paper folded over many times. She began to casually flip through the pages, not really certain what she was looking for. She thought of Falhorn and remembered how he would pore over the notes in the book almost every night. The mysteries held within this small bundle of objects had been the focus of his life. He had put years of effort into creating the book and the map. Then finally, after years of searching, he had found one of the pieces. And then a few years later, the second. Now he was dead. She wasn't sure what to do with these things. She only had a passing knowledge of the history behind Falhorn's quest. Garther snorted and changed positions. Before Elioneth knew what she was doing, she had the book and the two artifacts wrapped up once again and stuffed the package back into the satchel. The next few hours passed without incident, and Elioneth woke Garther before dawn. The two were up and had their camp cleared up, even as the dim light of morning showed its face. They looked at the nook where their camp had been, and you would never know anyone had just spent the night there. Garther nodded approvingly. Leave no trace. Elioneth said, let's be off. Garther put his hand on the boulder that had provided them shelter, as if to say goodbye. Much in the way someone might touch the face of a loved one. He lowered his voice to a whisper, but Elioneth was just able to hear his words. But all the while I sit and think of times that were before, I listen for returning feet and voices at the door. Then he turned and started off. Okay, let's go. Eleone thought she could see tears on Garther's face as he walked past her. She spoke softly to the dwarf. Garther, are you okay? Of course I'm okay. It's just a rain, girl, he snapped and wiped his sleeve across his face. Eleone held out her hand with palm up and looked up at the sky. It was overcast and the mist had returned, but there was no rain. Something about this place lay heavy on the heart of the dwarf. She wondered if they would ever become close enough for him to share that secret with her. Garther suddenly thrust a handful of arrows at the woman. Here, take these. I won't be needing them until my finger is healed. They will fly straighter than those crooked ore shafts you've been using. Besides, if our plan is to work, you're actually going to need to hit something with that bow of yours. Elioneth accepted the arrows without a word. She smiled, recognizing that Garther was just covering up his emotions with bluster, and she's decided to let it pass. The two spent the next hour making their way towards the ruin they had seen the day before. When they got close, they moved slowly and quietly, not wishing to be seen or heard. Fortunately, the early morning mist helped to cover their approach. 
They headed towards the remnants of a large building Garther had described, which was on the far side of the ruined settlement from the orc camp. They found their destination easily enough and worked their way inside what was left of the large structure. Unlike many of the others, this building still had some intact sections of walls with a massive central structure which appeared to have been several stories high at one time. Garther had led them to one such wall in what was once the interior of this large building. Taking care to be as quiet as possible, he began to remove some large rocks and other rubble which was piled up against the wall. After a short time, they were able to expose the wall behind, and Elionis could see that several of the blocks there were only loosely fitted into place. Garther carefully removed these blocks, revealing an opening to a space beyond. Garther said, Stay here. There's only room for one inside this small space. With that, he squeezed himself through the hole in the wall and into the space beyond. Elioneth could hear the muffled sounds from within as Garther began to rummage through the contents of the supply cache. After several minutes of this, Garther's face appeared at the entry. Elioneth, take these. And he handed out to her a bundle of arrows, a small sack, and a heavy bundle wrapped in an oiled cloth. Garther extracted himself from the small space, and before long, they had replaced the blocks and rubble in front of the wall. All looked as it had before they arrived, and only a careful search would reveal that something had been disturbed here. Garther placed the heavy bundle on the ground in front of him and began to unwrap its contents. While doing so, he looked up at Elioneth and said, Keep that small sack. It's filled with dried beans. It'll give us several good meals if we survive the day. Having unwrapped the package, Garther stood up and held up its contents. A shirt of ring mail and a small metal helm. The rings of the shirt were large and made from heavy black iron, while the helm was just a cap with no neck guard or face shield. It's not quite what I was hoping for, but it will be far better than what I've got. I'll need your help to get this on over my leather armor. After several minutes of squeezing, pulling, and cursing, with Eliona's help, he stood with his new gear equipped. The shield recovered from the dead wargrider, ringmail covering his leather armor, and the small metal cap atop his big round head. Looking rather comical, he said, what do you think? Elioneth chuckled. Not exactly a member of the King's Guard now, are you? Garther laughed out loud. He drew forth his axe from his belt and struck it against his shield. Well, I think I'm finally ready to go meet Lagthrak. And that's it. Wow. I knew it. I knew you would do that. The preparation episode. It was good, though. It was good. Get some more yeah, character it's the prep. Character development and prep. That's right. Getting it's ready for the big fight. That's right. You even dangled a little, uh, a little interesting side quest, or maybe even the next section of uh, their journey with that uh, satchel and, and emblem. Yeah. 
Well, I threw that satchel in the very first episode, you know, because I thought, you know, maybe in the future we can make something out of this. Mm, okay, we'll leave okay. it there as, as like a, as a, you know, future plot development. I like that. I like that. <laughs> and he's just going to run in as a tank and just like, I'm got this. And then just like take one to the face. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if you know, but like ring mail is, is like. It is metal armor, but it's it's really poor. Like it won't stop an arrow. No. Like it's not chainmail. It's not like densely woven like chainmail armor. Ringmail is literally like giant rings that are interlinked with each other. Um, so it, it's basically armor that's intended to stop uh, like a slashing attack from a sword. But that's about it. Even then, you're still taking the kinetic force of that slashing attack yeah, in your body. Yeah, like, you know, it's, it's well, a lot of armor is useless against bludgeoning weapons, mm. um, but certainly this is of no use against, like, piercing weapons like we class in, in Dungeons & Dragons. That's but true. Um, you know, slashing, it's okay. But slashing, it's okay. Certainly better than leather armor anyways. That is true, yeah. There you go. And so Garther's equipped. He's equipped. Arthur's equipped. He's equipped. All right. Let's see. Yeah. Let's see what happens next. I'm curious. Ooh. Well, it's next. Next section's up to you, there, buddy. That's right. That's right. So we get your see. get your thinking get your thinking helmet on. You gotta you gotta bring this home. That's right. Oh, jeez. Either well, it's now gonna be whether you're gonna be able to wrap up the fight all in one go or not. I think that the challenge will be pulling it off in a realistic manner. You know? Yeah. I think that'll be the challenge. Maybe it'll be like we go out to engage the orcs and they're gone. They're not even there anymore. <laughs> oh, I'm not doing that. That's, that's, uh, that's questionable. Yeah, that would be a huge letdown. You're building for a climactic conclusion of the, uh, the orc camp sort of discussion or story arc. And you're yeah. just like, and they're gone. It's like, hmm. Okay, yeah, wait then. a second. And, and Garther woke up, and it was all just a dream. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. All right. Well, that's it. That's another, that's episode five of uh, Oathbound. That's right, that's right. So these two are, uh, these two are going for it. Yeah, and we are we are very excited to you know there's going to be a certain point where we have sort of accumulated enough that we're I mean looking like we're going to put it all together into one sort of bonus episode. It'll be the Oathbound episode. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Well, I think we can like after this fight is done, like whether it's one more segment or two more segments, mm -hmm. I think we can safely call that chapter one, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe we take a break from it for for a couple episodes after that. We'll see. Yeah. Maybe we introduce new characters and then they sort of cl uh, collide with uh, the Oathbound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. we could do that. Who knows? Who, who knows? Who knows? All right. Well, that is also the end of this episode, I think. I think so. Unless you have any other long tangents to go on about. I am the master of the long tangent or the exact opposite of what a master would be. Anyways, uh, no, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's call it call it an episode then. And we'll, we'll just say uh, thank you to everybody for listening, if you're still with us, to another episode, episode 24 of North of the Shire. And we will see you again on the next episode. Take care, everybody. Yep. Bye now.